All right, everyone. I'm joined today by TNSN analyst and draft expert, Craig Button. Craig, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I don't know about draft expert. We all uh, we all look at it with a curious eye, and we we all make confident projections. And then you know the key is is you know looking back in time and saying, okay, why why did that player turn out better than we thought? Why did he not turn out as good as we thought? So, what what I love about it, Marco, is is the passion that uh, that people yeah. have for it, and I I, I think there's such an interest uh, with fan bases, you know, depending on where you are in the standings, depending on where your lot in life is in the NHL, you know. Uh, it can either be for the current year and, and your prospects for competing for a Stanley Cup or what your prospects look like in the future to compete for a Stanley Cup. So I love doing it. I love having fun with it. And, uh, you know, the next person that uh, is perfect in that regard is going to be the first. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's, an, it's, a, it's a pretty inexact science. And I think that's the thing I love the most about kind of watching, especially this year. This year has been such, such a hyped year in terms of prospects. Uh, be it already drafted or upcoming that, you know, there's the projection is, is, is even more difficult. It's even more precarious because here we are a 19 year old tournament, for example, in the world juniors, and we have all these 17 year olds standing out. Like how, how do we project their performance versus the quality of play and where are they going based on that? So it's a conversation I've had with a few people uh, over the last, uh, I would say couple of weeks. Uh, but would love to get your take on it, especially the World Juniors this year. I feel like this World Juniors was probably the craziest in a in a really long time. Yeah, I don't know about crazy. I I think that you know when when we think about the tournament and and kind of returning to a normal pacing and a normal rhythm, and you know and, and the environment which was fantastic in both uh, Moncton and Halifax and. So, you know, there was a return to that after, you know, the last time it happened was in early 2020. So mm. it's three years removed and, you know, you, you, you look at it. And, th and then you consider that Russia is out of the international hockey scene right now. And so you can't just have four teams that think they have a chance to, to compete for a gold medal, Canada, the U.S., Sweden, and Finland. To have Czechia and Slovakia perform at the level they did in a competitive nature and it wasn't accidental. Like no. there's times when you come into a tournament and a team go, oh, wow, look at what they did. They just stood on their heads. They, they had just these unbelievable performances and a, and a great amount of luck. That wasn't the case with Czechia and Slovakia. Good teams, good competitive teams. And, and, and Switzerland had, their, had, 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 had strength. And Latvia just couldn't score, but they were a good team. So when, when you look at it all the way down the line, it, it was terrific for international hockey. Because if you just start to narrow it down to a select few teams that think they can win, that is not good for any international tournament. So if that's how we're, that's how I would define crazy, crazy good, crazy good, crazy good, crazy definitely. good. And some of the performances, the individual performances, the, the team performances, some of the goaltending performances, it, it really was uh, an exciting time. And I can only tell you this being in the buildings, the, the excitement was palpable, uh, palpable in terms of the enthusiasm from everybody involved. Yeah, you know, the Maritimes generally don't disappoint when it comes to these international <laughs> tournaments. Halifax is uh, close to home for me, so the, the Scotiabank, uh, I saw it rocking. Uh, it was peculiar, though, because there was a lot of complaints at the tournament because of ice quality since it was so hot, un uncharacteristically hot this year or, or mild. Um, and yet we still saw some great transition hockey which, in fact, allows me to transition to, to, to discussing some of these prospects. 
in the tournament, especially, uh, you know, for Canadians fans watching Joshua Roy kind of come up clutch yet again for Team Canada in this in this edition of the tournament. Um, I just want to, I guess, to get your take in terms of the evolution of his game, because we, we kind of knew the skill scoring dynamic, but we saw a little bit more from him this time around. Yeah, you, you know, I've been really lucky, Marco. You know, my friend John Goyans coached the Lac St. Louis yep. Lions. He's coaching now in Cape Breton now. And so uh, w- when Joshua Waugh was playing in the, in the Midget Trois uh, League, you know, he, he was the first overall pick in the Quebec League draft, but Levy was the top team in the league. They'd lost two games that entire season. Joshua was also part of Joshua was also part of the Quebec team that won the Canada Games gold medal that year, upsetting a very good uh, Ontario team that included Othman and Brant Clark and Shane Wright. You know, so Joshua was so. So I had the opportunity to watch Joshua play back in, 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 in at that when he was 15, 16 years old. I mean, there was no question he was the best player in the Quebec draft. And so b- before I get to the to to the development and progression of his game on the ice. I have so ad, I have so much admiration for Joshua because Joshua, you know, goes to St. John and, you know, a, a year and a half into it and, and, and the pandemic and different scenarios and different, different uh, challenges, he, he left at Christmas and he said, I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm not getting what I need. And if, if I'm not getting what I need, I can't give what they need. And he informed the management of the St. John Sea Dogs that he wasn't coming back. And he, and he essentially said, you know, if you, if you trade me, great. I'd like to be traded. But if not, then maybe I just won't play hockey. And, then, and, and what, what I, he, he took his career into his own hands. He recognized what he needed. You know, I tell every young player, you don't have to just be someplace just because somebody drafted you. or you, If it's not right for you, there's a way to handle it. There's a way to manage it. But you've got to take control of your own career. Joshua did that. He ended up in Sherbrooke. He ends up being a fifth-round draft pick. And people go, well, how did they get him in the fifth round? Well, a big part of it in the fifth round was he, he, he hadn't been able to demonstrate all the qualities that he had, offensively or otherwise. And, you know, he'd shown enough. And the Montreal Canadiens, I think, had a pretty good background on Joshua. And they said, hey, listen, we're getting to this part of the draft. Like, come on, let's just, let, let's just take him. And they did. And, and all Joshua's done since that point in time is just his game has just progressed and progressed and progressed. I mean, a leading scorer in the Quebec League during the 21-22 season. You know, plays on Team Canada in, in the August uh, gold medal tryout. Comes back. You know, a key. Like, he wasn't just a player on this 2023 gold medal team. He was a key figure in so many different areas of the game. And so when you talk about the progression of Joshua – in, in, in everything, we know he's a gifted offensive player, but he's a smart, competitive player. There's so many things he can do in a game to help your team win. And, you know, you think about, you know, you think about Connor Bedard, and I think about Thomas Millich, who, who had really significant impact on the, uh, on, on the team and the team's result. Joshua Wise's impact was right there with those, with those two guys in different ways, but no less significant for Canada winning the gold medal. And, I, I, I said this on the broadcast during the tournament. Joshua Waugh is going to be in the NHL and be a good player in the NHL <laughs> because he's got the skill, he's got the brains, he's got the competitive spirit. But but I love the fact that Joshua said, you know what, I, I got to take control of this situation and, and not just go along. And, and you know, he, him taking control and, and Montreal having a background and selecting him 
is going to be to the great benefit of the Montreal Canadiens for a lot of years, in my view. Yeah, well, that was basically what we thought, because even that end, the end of the pandemic year, like that string of games, I think he played 20-some-odd games with Sherbrooke to end the season, and, and he had, like, I think he was scoring at a 45 or 50-goal clip for them in that time. So, like, you already saw the turnaround, but I, I remember having a conversation with uh, coach and GM and also assistant coach for Team Canada, Stéphane Julien, who acquired him and paid quite a sum to St. John to acquire him. And he said, that's a franchise player right there. You you, you take that, <laughs> you mold that. And the biggest joke that I had the first time I spoke to uh, Joshua was the defensive game. He's like, he straight up said, like, no joke. I suck defensively. I really need to bring this up. And I was taken aback by how like self-critical he was. And here, not even a year after our conversation, he was on the penalty kill and he gets that 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 empty net penalty uh, penalty kill goal, right? Just the just the the maturity, the progression. That's why I, I I tend to agree with you because that hockey sense, you can't teach that. You can get you can take summer classes when it comes to your skating, you can hit the gym as much as you want, but you just can't teach hockey sense. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I totally agree with you there. And you know, he's got a great self-awareness too. Awareness of his strengths, awareness of where he needs to improve. And, and again, it goes right back to an awareness of what he needed. And you know what? Like I, I never heard a, I never heard any uh, any commentary from Joshua being negative about St. John or anything. He just said, I needed something different. And you know, you know, Stefan recognized, hey, listen, I, I got an unbelievable opportunity to get this player, right? And 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 look what he's done for Sherbrooke. And th yep. there's no question that part of development is not only a willingness of a player to work at his game and to work in different areas, to, to not only advance his strengths and develop the strengths, but also be aware of the areas that, 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 that can be better. And, and Joshua has done that. And like, you think about it, like, you know, he, he, he just so significant. I mean, he, the December tournament last year that got canceled, postponed, right? I mean, he was at the camp, not by accident, and he no. didn't make the team. But, you know, when the opportunity came in the summer and after what he did last year, there was no question he was going to be on the August team. I don't think yeah. anybody doubted that. But so you think about the progression he had made, you know, in, in, in six months and, you, you know, and, and these progressions that he's made, to me, have really put him in a position as, as, as one of the, like, really, you know, one of the very best drafted players outside the NHL. I mean, you think about a fifth-round pick now moving into that spot, and becoming that type of a player and regarded in that manner, that speaks volumes about Joshua. That speaks yeah. volumes about him. And you know what? And like I said, like I mean, he, he to me, he's going to be a really good player for a lot of years for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, I had uh, Stéphane Julien projected him to be a, a very similar player to Tyler Toffoli currently with the Calgary Flames. They that similar clutch hockey sense, can play him in any situation kind of guy. Um, I liked it at first. Obviously, Joshua has higher aspirations. He compared himself to John Tavares, but uh, <laughs> not, not to, I could see the, the play style, just not the same physical uh, attributes. Well, that's but but think about this and this: if Joshua continues to 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 progress in the way he has, you know, I don't think Joshua is putting limits on himself, and I love that no. too about himself. Like you know, so like you know, like if, if you you know, Stefan has a has a real firm grasp on assessment and. You know, if he if he compares him to time, that's a really good comparison. And, you know, but at the same time, Joshua has has been a frontline player, and I think what he's really trying to 
uh, conveys, I, I believe that I can be a frontline player and in, in, in different ways again. And, I, and you know what? Help him try to be the best he can be. And if the best he can be is this level, okay, max out there. But don't leave yourself short. And I think what Joshua has done is not leaving himself short in terms of, of what he is and what he can be. And, the, you know, it's maturity in, in so many different regards and really great admiration. Uh, I really do. I, and he's become, and I talk, to a, I talk to a lot of parents, young kids, what should we do? Should we go this route? What, you know, the draft's coming up. I'm talking about the, 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 the draft and the, and the respective junior leagues. And, and, and I tell them the same thing. Like, you know, you got to take control of your career. Well, Joshua now has become a great poster boy for me to use as an example because he, he's a great example of taking control and not letting something control you. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the, one, of the, one of the main things is, you know, he took control of every opportunity he was given, even at Canadians training camp, not this most recent one. He had a hand injury, but the one prior, that was his coming out party yep. right after being drafted. Um, and now the question has moved from, is he one of their top prospects to, is this guy going to be ready to play in the NHL next year? And well, that's a tough, yeah. that's a tough projection to make. Well, you, you know, when you think about the Montreal Canadiens, and, and, and it's probably a, l- a little bit of an opportunity for me to talk about Martin St. Louis. Yeah. And, and you, th- you, you think, so, so we're taping this or recording this on January 17th. And in the 81 games that Cole Caulfield has played with Marty St. Louis as the head coach, he has 48 goals. So if he happens to score two goals in, in his next game against the Winnipeg Jets, which, which will not be easy. That would mean he scored 50 goals in, 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 in 82 game schedule. Like, you know, 48 in 82 is pretty good. 49 in 82. But, but, but yeah, you're right that he, he should get paid, but it, 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 you know, Marty St. Louis is such an unbelievable competitor. He wants to win more than anybody. And, you know, and, and, and it's a great quality, but he's not measuring winning in terms of team wins right now. He's measuring winning and how much the players are progressing, how much they're taking in, how much they're understanding. I, I, I think it's such an unbelievable perspective for somebody who is so wired to, 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 for success and measured in wins and losses to be able to, you know, recalibrate, you know, his, his approach. And I think his approach has been fantastic for the Montreal Canadiens. It will continue to be fantastic for the Montreal Canadiens, which leads me into Joshua Watt. <laughs> if, if, if you're skilled and you're smart and you're versatile and you're competitive, I like your chances to, 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 to catch the, uh, uh, not, not the eye of Marty St. Louis, but the, uh, to, to say, I want to work with that player because Joshua is the type of player that, that, that I believe like with I'm specifically focused on Marty is that Marty will bring out the best in him. So I'm not going to say, no, he can't play on the team next year. I'm going to say if Joshua continues doing what he's can, he will give himself an opportunity. And, and, and Marty will look at, at Joshua just as another player that I can help develop. Because as you know, this is about the Montreal Canadiens becoming a really good contending team in, in, in the next years. Not this year, probably not next year, but, you know, continuing to build on that. And Joshua was a big part of that. Yeah, and, you know, it's definitely a player that he's singled out uh, during training camp as being, like, a guy who caught my eye. And then 
there was another prospect who had his coming out party this training camp who caught Marte St. Louis eye and St. Louis was very vocal about wanting to work with him and that was Owen Beck and Owen Beck kind of had the same kind of weird kind of year as as a guy like Joshua because his season obviously his his draft stock was affected by the pandemic OHL not playing a 16 year old season gets drafted in the second round some had him in the first comes into training camp lights it up gets his entry-level contract goes back to the OHL and then comes to Canada's camp and is one of the last cuts uh almost to that point almost the same kind of season as as Joshua this time around however this the tournament wasn't canceled and Owen got the call back uh, unfortunately, from Colton Dock's injury, and for you know, went from 13th forward to staple on the fourth line to scoring or to being part of some big goals. I wanted to get your take on him as well. Well, you, you know, we, we, what we have to keep in mind with the with the with the players from Ontario, Owen missed 18 months of playing hockey. Exactly, 18 months, and those are really key developmental, uh, you know, months. And when you when you think about a, a player. Because you come into the OHL and, and, and you, you, you test yourself. You, you know, you've been a good player at the U16 level. Now you're coming in, you're playing against older players for the first time, players much older than you for the first time. And it really helps you understand, okay, what do I got to work on? What do I have to get better on? You know, how, what, what do I have to adjust? And, and those things are, are numerous. But, but one thing with Owen is, is that he has this tremendous hockey sense. And, you, you know, we talk about Joshua. Owen's hockey sense is, is outstanding. And, you know, you can put him in so many different situations. And I think we're going to see a lot of players from Ontario from that, whether it be the 04 cohort, even the 05 cohort, some of the 03 cohort, that, that we're going to see these developmental, what I would call jumps. Usually you don't see jumps like that. You, you see more of that steady, steady improvement. You go, wow, gee. But, but I think you're going to see those jumps because they missed 18 months. And I think we're going to get other players, you know, coming from, they go, wow, you know, and I, and, and there was nothing, I don't think there was anything. When, when you don't watch a player play for a period of time, it's hard to measure his improvement, but the 33rd pick in the NHL draft is a high pick. I, I, I believe Marco that there's 20 first round picks for certain. Everybody can put 20 players on a list and go, these guys are first round picks. I think after that, 21 to 45, that's my – I use 25 players that I think are first-round picks. It all depends where you're picking. The Montreal – I can guarantee you the Montreal Canadiens, if they had the 28th pick, would have taken all of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, he was the first – so you, you have this group of players because all you got to do is listen to him. Oh, geez, we couldn't believe he was there at 39. We couldn't believe he was there at 37, right? Because it's, they do have him rated in the first round. So, you know, I, I know there's only 32 first-round draft picks, but I think there's a pool of players, 25 players. I use 21 to 45 that I think fall into that. For, so, all Beck was a first-round draft pick in my view. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and highly regarded. You, you know, it's interesting when we go back to last year's draft. And, you know, Shane Wright, a centerman. And, you know, all the discussion and everything. And, you know, they made a decision that Yuri Slavkovsky was their guy. And I said it, you can't go wrong. You're not good. It wasn't like you're passing up Connor McDavid for some, for, for, there was no way they were going to go wrong if they took Yuri Slavkovsky first, add some stuff. But the minute they traded for Kirby Dock, it was like, oh, there's, there's, there's some more intel into you. And then when they drafted Owen Beck in the second round, I'm going, well, so they get a big, potential right shot center and Kirby Dock. 
They draft the second. They draft in the second round Owen Beck, a right shot, really good two way center. You know, Montreal might have been able to get their cake, their icing, and their ice cream as well. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, with the, and then sometimes the draft has to fall in your favor in, in that respect. But you also have to have a plan of what you're doing and how you assess. So. You know, there might have been some consternation from some circles. How can they not draft Shane Wright? But when you look at how it all fell out from one, the trade to Doc, and then Owen Beck coming in, it's it, it, it's pretty bloody impressive, the the quality of player that they that the Montreal Canadiens were able to get, you know, through the through the 33rd pick. And I include Kirby Doc in that. Because yeah. you know you you gave up you you gave up pretty you gave up something pretty significant in a first round pick to get a young player. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we were looking at that kind of organizational depth, right? And, you know, going going back to Owen Beck, center was a huge need. Um, you know, and, and that progression since the draft has been staggering and just going from about you know, three quarters of a point per game to almost a point and a half per game. But what's been interesting, and that's something he spoke to me about wanting to fix in the summer, was the goal scoring, shooting more, being more of a dual threat. And we saw it with the Mississauga Steelheads. We're seeing it now with the Peterborough Peets. But we also saw him take, you know, impressive shots. And, and some of the offensive choices that he made led to some pretty big goals for, for Team Canada as well. You know, what have you seen from his game so far in terms of progression that could translate to something more than simply just a checking center? Yeah, I, I never thought that Owen was just a checking center. I, I thought Owen would be a really good you know, two-way centerman, and 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 you, you know, you when you have you, you have Nick Suzuki, and uh, you, you know when you have him at the top of your center slot, right? Well, now you, you know he carries he carries so much uh, so much of the the heavy demands, and and you need that from a number one center. You know, Owen Beck is is somebody that that understands what the demands are, and and he's going to be able to adapt and be able to to perform. I I, I think what you see in the OHL. Is probably what you're going to see in the NHL with Owen. You're going to see somebody that comes in, probably is really good, you know, without the puck. He's not going to put up as much offense, you know, and then it's going to progress as he gets more comfortable into the offensive side of things. And, you know, when you when you can put a player, you know, in those spots, you know, a lot of players, you know, younger players, they've scored so much and they've been so prolific offensively that when they move up levels and they don't have that success, they, 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 it, 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 it impacts them. It impacts their confidence. But because Owen has other parts of his game so much in order, he like, you know, it's not going to – he knows that he can contribute. He's comfortable contributing that. And at the same time, he'll continue to grow, just like he did in, just like he did in Mississauga last year. It's interesting when James Richmond, the GM and coach of Mississauga, said, you know what, you know, like, do I want to trade Owen back? No, but – I'm not so sure he's coming back to my team next year. So, you know, maybe the time to strike when the irons are hot, right? But I think that that speaks volumes uh, about how James Richmond, who's very, I mean, drafted Owen, watched him develop. I think it speaks volumes when, you know, not only uh, does he, you know, get the quick call uh, to replace Colton Dock with, with an injury with Team Canada and, and be used, I mean, which becomes important, but, you know, his current GM and coach, James Richmond, while well, his former GM and coach says, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm seeing a player that ain't not coming back to my team next year. So I think that that tells you a lot about Owen Beck and what his trajectory is. I actually had that conversation with James Richmond last summer 
where he's like, I'm, you'll see, I'm, I'm not too sure he'll be around for his 20, for his 19 year old season. You, you just, you'll see. And then legitimately three weeks later, Canadians development camp, uh, sorry, uh, rookie camp starts and he just looks like a dynamite player in Buffalo. And again, in, in Montreal, and it's just that, that upward progression. So a lot of Canadians fans were confused that an 18 year old was traded at the OHL trade deadline. Um, but it speaks more to him than it does necessarily the rebuild in Mississauga. Yeah, it does. Well, it also, it also speaks to reality. It also speaks to a reality that James Richmond says, you know what, you know, I, I'm like the chances of me having a back next year aren't high. So I, I need to have a good team next year. And, you know, you know, what, what are the, what's the return for somebody significant like Owen? And James isn't looking at I'm He's not going to lie. I need to trade Owen back. He doesn't want to trade Owen back, but he's also looking at the reality of the situation. And that speaks volumes about Owen that probably, you know, he's telling James through his play, you know what? Like, I love playing here. I, I, you've really given me a great opportunity, but you know what? I might not be here next year. And, and it's not him saying it. It's him like through his actions, you know, doing that. And it's pretty impressive. And again, learning like, like you talked about hockey sense earlier, like you can play in the NHL with, uh, with with average hockey sense. You cannot be a good player in the NHL without good hockey sense. It's impossible. I don't care how fast you skate. I don't care how hard you shoot the puck. You cannot be a good player. You can be a serviceable player. You can be a player that plays a specific role in different. You cannot be a good player if you don't have good hockey sense. Yeah, that's it's something that uh, a lot of teams have had to struggle with at the, especially in the draft floor. You see the you see a guy with all the tools, but just can't put the toolbox together. And yeah, it's definitely frustrating, especially you know earlier on when you know size was was like a determining factor, uh, even you know at the top of a draft. Now we're seeing you know a guy like Connor Bedard, arguably you know the greatest prospect since Crosby since before. Uh, and he's barely 5'10", like that would have been blasphemy not not 10 years ago. So it's fun to see what the focus has become. And I'm glad that we, we brought it to this point because I want to talk to you about the other guy that the Canadians picked in the second round in 2022 in Lane Hudson, who is, we all thought he was going to be good, but what we've been seeing at Boston College and what we saw in the small glimpses uh, with Team USA is just, a player that is far more well-rounded that we gave him credit for. Well, I, one thing I have to correct you on, because uh, my BU Terrier fans are going to get mad at you for saying Boston College. Oh, I said Boston <laughs> College again. Oh, Boston it's, Terrier. It's okay. Yes. You, you do, yeah, Boston, you BU Terrier. You just got. <laughs> I was anyway, just doing. A, a, I was just doing a call actually with uh, Boston Colleges. I believe um, uh, Cutter Gautier. I yeah. think that's that's where right. Boston College. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But uh, anyway, I just you know got it. Got to you know we got to just uh, make sure that uh, you know my BU friends. I got lots of BU friends. So anyway, that being said, I I don't know. Uh, prior to the World Junior Tournament, you know I previewed uh, uh, some prospects. I previewed some NHL drafted prospects, and Lane Hudson was one. Of them. And I, I've watched Lane play since he was 16 years old, and. You know, and, and all he does is, is is meet every successive demand, whatever the next challenge is, he meets it at whatever level he is. And, and I said this in, in, in the write-up with the prospect. If Lane Hudson was 5'11", 
he yeah. would have been in consideration for the first overall pick. There's no question about it. He's not 5'11". So people go, why was it? Because he's not 5'11". That's just, that's the nature of it. And, and Lane's 5'8", five 5'8 eight, five eight and a half. And, you know, we know everything that he did to show that he'll grow and everything. And, 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 that's, and that's all wonderful. But all Lane Hudson does every time he plays is show how superior he is to the competition. And so, like, he, he played U18 when he was U17. He he was on he was on the he was on the junior team at, at 18. He's he, he's been one of the best defensemen in the entire NCAA as a freshman. So when you watch Lane Hudson, and I always say this about Lane, I mean it's just like, yeah, maybe we look back in time and go, yeah, well, he should have been drafted in the first round. I don't think anybody questioned Lane as a talent. But you know what? Like, you know, the, the, the smaller player has to continue proving himself. Well, Lane just keeps proving himself time and time again. What I've always seen with Lane, and, and, and I've, I've continuously seen it, he, he, he is always, vast majority of the time, so always isn't the right, vast majority of the time, able to play the game to his strengths on his terms. A lot of players get overwhelmed. They get caught in spots. But when I watch Lane defensively, offensively, wherever he is, he's able to, he's able to play it on his terms. He's great at reading the play defensively, getting a stick in there, getting under opponents. So I never see Lane get overwhelmed. I never see Lane get overwhelmed physically. He doesn't go and try to take on opponents physically because he knows his chances are limited. So he takes them on with his strength, quick hands, quick feet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you with anticipation. I'm going to have that puck off your stick before you even know it's off your stick. And then we know how brilliant he is offensively. I mean, the, the 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 edge work, the puck skills, the vision, the deception. I mean, I mean, and, and and can you have can you have an NHL team with lots of Lane Hudson's on your blue line? No, you can't. But you can have Lane Hudson on your team, and you pair him with the right guy and give him the right support. I'll tell you what, he's going to be a big time contributor. And Lane is a big time competitor. And Lane hasn't even started growing or physically maturing. <laughs> I, yeah, I see him and I'm still amazed. Like, you know, when I look at him and I just go, yeah, you got lots of growth ahead of you. Like, you know, and, but he, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I know what you think. And I think that he's just a terrific, terrific young player. And I, I, he'll play in the NHL. He'll play in the NHL. And I think, uh, you know, put him in the right spots, support him the right way. He, he'll, he'll, be a, he'll be a really good NHL player. Well, you know, one of the things that caught my eye actually was the U18s last year. Um, yep. You know, I had eyes for Seamus Casey when I was when I was looking at the U.S. national development team. And I came away absolutely impressed by Lane Hudson, who was the highest scoring defenseman for them. And him and, and, and Logan Cooley on that power play, just kind of working it together was impressive. But I found for a guy that's perceived as being this offensive force, his five-on-five five play is is what I find to be even more impressive because you don't expect that from him. Like even at the World Junior Championships, one of the things that came out to me the most was his gap control, was his ability to to to, to win a grand majority of his one-on-one -on -one battles. That's what stood out to me because you know the offense, you know he's a clutch player for for the Terriers, but it's the little details that are going to help him get to the NHL that he's already doing so well so I guess my my question is defensively or, or playing against bigger players you know the worry was he'll get overwhelmed but you know more and more tape that we watch 
it's more and more likely that he has the kind of personality, given his limitations, that he could actually overcome uh, a lot of the fears that some scouts had in him. Well, and, 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 and those fears, you know, I, I, I think you have to evaluate your own biases, evaluate your own fears in light of e each individual player. But what I'll say about Lane is, is that you just talked about gap control. So, so Lane doesn't sit back like somebody's coming down the wing. He's not sitting back and letting that guy, you know, put the puck in his corner and take a run at him. Lane's right up on him. He's the so, but th that guy turns to get and, and Lane's underneath him and he's underneath his stick taking the puck from him. Listen, Scott Niedermeyer was a great NHL defenseman. Great, and when we know how great Scott Niedermeyer is, and I'm not saying Lane is 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 uh, Scott Niedermeyer, but Scott Niedermeyer would would th th that's how he played the anticipation and the skating. Like he he would be up in your space, take the puck from you, wheel turn, and somebody was going, "Where did that puck go?" I, I just had the puck. It's gone. Lane does the same thing. When I say he uses his strengths, he gets into a, a defensive situation. He gets in there quick, gets get, uses his fantastic hands and stick work, and sometimes it's just stripping a puck. You watch him, how, how well he is with a stick. And then he sometimes he just strips you of the puck, puts it in a spot, then his quickness gets to the puck, and then he makes the outlet pass. Where He knows he's not going to get into – an advantageous position in one-on-one -on -one physical battles, not at this point in time, but his leverage underneath players, his skating, his thinking, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Like I said, I, I, I don't throw that comment out. If he was 5'11", he would have been in consideration for the first overall pick. I don't throw that out by accident. We've had four different scouts say the exact same thing to us. Yeah. Uh, we even had Mike Morreale of NHL.com basically say, like, top 10, top 10 talent, easy. And if he was 5'11", top five, without a question. Yeah. So I've, I've gotten that a lot. And so it, it is it is an interesting thing. And, you know, you talk about playing him with the right players. Montreal Canadiens' defense is full of giants at this point right now. Like you have Caden Gooley, you have Arbor Jackai, um, you know, Justin Barron's no, no small player either at 6'2", at this point. Um, so it, it is the right mix of talent. And that, I think, is where Kent Hughes kind of was able to identify a guy like Lane Hudson is what they're missing. One of the uh, one of the things that I guess the Canadians are now looking at in terms of addressing what they're missing is this upcoming draft. Kent Hughes has been kind of adamant that he wants to add a third first round pick, and obviously the later part of the first round, as you pointed out, twenty to, to forty is is completely all over the place. But I did want to talk to you about the twenty twenty three draft and what could be available for the Montreal Canadiens if they maintain this pace and judging by the injuries that were announced today, uh, that could very well be in the, in the five to 10 range. I know we, we talked about Connor Bedard generational talent at this point. I don't think it's any, it's arguable. And then you kind of have Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, Matvey Michkov kind of playing in that top five. And then number five kind of gets tricky, you know, and that's kind of where I wanted to get your take. We have guys like Zach Benson, Will Smith, Dalbor Dvorsky, Axel Sandine Palika. Um, so I, I, I was just looking to maybe get your take on, you know, one by one, maybe just going through and getting your take on what you think these guys could become or what they're. What they're there, there's some real depth in this draft. There's some real depth in this draft, and you know, and you know, the Vancouver Canucks. You know, it's a, it's a. I, I just go to that. Yeah. They talk. They talk about tanking. At number five in the draft, they got Elias Patterson superstar 
a number seven that drafted Quinn Hughes, a, a, a number one defenseman in the National Hockey League. Okay. And so much like, yeah, Connor Bedard, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Like they're no brainers. Okay. We, we know they're no brainers. But this, but to think you're not getting a quality player after that is ludicrous. There's quality players here, but they're all different. So if we just go through it, like, you know, you know, uh, Axel, uh, Sandine Pelica. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a really good defense. All you got to do is, is watch how the coach used him at the world junior. He, he, he had the most, time on ice per game than any Swedish defenseman, 17 years old. The coaches put the players out there that they think are going to help them win. And so the, so we got a right shot defenseman, great with the puck, you know, poised, settled, really makes good plays. You know, Dalibor Dvorsky, you know, he, he he's just a good two-way centerman. Like, you know, like I look at him and go like, you know, I think he's going to have a really good NHL career. Like, is he going to be Michael Backlund? Well, that might be the downside. Is there more offense there? You know, time will tell. But this is a good, good player. Maybe maybe he's Bo Horvat. Maybe he's, he's uh, uh, like, maybe he'll, he, he'll become that level of player. But, but we're talking about a, a, a really, really good player here. Will Smith, like, you watch Will Smith play? I mean, a, a, a good-sized centerman. We talk about hockey sense. Another great hockey sense player. And, and he can he can make plays, score goals, and he, he at times it almost looks too easy because he is so smart, right? The Zach Benson, I, I I think he's got Patrick Kane type game, like you know. So you, you're not gonna you can't eliminate Zach Benson based on height because of the way he plays and the style of game he has. Dalibor Dvorsky. So what, what what I'm telling you here is is the Montreal Canadiens are going to have a smorgasbord of talent <laughs> to choose from. Right? They're going to have a smorgasbord of talent to say, well, you know what? Yeah, we might rate that guy a little bit higher, but we want this player at this position. Right? And, and, and that's what the draft offers you. Like, it yeah. would be great if it was just, okay, it's all the same player. Who's the best one out of it? They're all different, and they all offer something different. As you're building up your prospect pool and you're building up, you know, and you're evaluating players, what are the different elements a player adds? You know, Martin Lapointe, who – you know, overseas for player personnel development, right? He was the ninth overall pick in the draft. You go look at Martin LaPointe's career. Martin LaPointe was a critical player for the Detroit Red Wings success. Critical player, okay? And you need, you need Martin LaPointe in your lineup. And Marty was a, was a really good offensive player. And he came in the NHL. He, he contributed offense, but the significance of his play and what he added and you're trying to build out your team in different ways. So, you know, they might look and go, well, we have Cole Caulfield. Do we want another small winger in Zach Benson? It doesn't mean they don't like Zach Benson, but you want two players like that. But Zach's got to be a top six forward. He's not going to be a third line winger. So, no. you know, so as good as Zach is, Montreal might just say, hey, you know what, we're going to, and you have, you, you know, you're trying to balance it out. I, I think it's a great opportunity for them to continue to build out their prospect group. And as they continue to build out the prospect group, you're doing it with different types of players that fit into, that's how you become a top team. You know, I, I can go back to the, to the seventies and you think back, they drafted Bob Ganey in the first round. They drafted Doug Risebrow in the first round. They drafted Merrill Trombley in the first round. You know, those were three first round draft picks. 
in consecutive years. And, and, so, and they all were instrumental in different ways for the success of the Montreal Canadiens dynasty in the 70s. So yep. it's no different now for the Montreal Canadiens, finding different players. Yeah, everybody wants the little Fleurs and the Shuts and the Robinsons and, and, and everything, but there, there's some really, really good players that become, I think, really important if your team wants to have long-term success and I'm talking about competing for Stanley Cups. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we talk about this uh, where the Canadians first round pick is right now, but there's also Florida's uh, that is currently yep. in play. And, you know, Florida is on a little bit of a heater right now, but, you know, the chances of that pick is between 10 and 20 is, is, is getting higher by the day, uh, especially with the, the dogfight that is the Eastern Conference right now. So, I guess my question in this case, based on the way that this is kind of projecting or looking, would you say that that 10 to 20 slot this year has more depth in the first round is, is, is always going to be there, but is it more, is it higher talent levels between 10 and 20 this year for you, as opposed to your 10 and 20 last year? Yeah. Like I, I, I think we always look at it. We, we have the benefit of hindsight to look mm -hmm. at what happened last year and to see how players have progressed. And then you're, you're, you're trying to look at this year and project. So what I would say is when I watch this year's draft, I, I, I think that the way I would portray it, Marco, is, is that when I'm looking at the draft, I think that, you know, so, so deeper into the draft, which is past the first half, I think there's more opportunity for players that can be, you know, playing your top two lines, be top three defensemen, you know, you're not going to get it. You shouldn't get a number one defenseman in the, like in the second half of the first round, but, 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 but maybe a two or a three or even a, a, a four second pair of defense. I, I think that there's more opportunity. Whereas a lot of drafts you're looking at going, okay, if we get a regular player out of here, a player that's a number four defenseman or a third line center or winger, you're doing pretty good. I think a lot of, a lot of times, you know, there's a misrepresentation uh, of players. And if you get a regular out of the draft picking from 17 to 32, I think you're doing really well, a regular player, but it gets first round attached to it. So, we, Oh, they got to be this, a good third line player coming from the first round is, is, is valuable. So, but I think there's, as I point out, I think there's more opportunity for the players that I've seen for them to be top two line players or top three defense. And I think that's where you, you see a little bit higher, uh, potential for quality coming in this year's draft than last year. Yeah, that's it. I was going to bring it to like players like, you know, David Reinbacher that we saw at the, at the world junior championships, uh, Colby Barlow, who currently leads the OHL in scoring and goal scoring, uh, Andrew Cristal, who has been a revelation right now. I, I believe actually he's in your top 10, so I won't say 10, yeah, to, 10 to 20, but so is Barlow. You know, so I, it's true. Yes, I did see Barlow there. And, and, you know, that's a guy I've had also on my radar just simply because he plays with Canadians prospect Cedric Gendo and they, they form yeah. quite the pair. Uh, and, you know, you also have guys like Callum Ritchie. Um, you know, a lot of people are a little confused until they watch him as to why Callum Ritchie is ranked so high because the, 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 the hockey DB page isn't sexy, but the tape really very much is. It doesn't play on a very strong team, but is that big shooting center. Um, I'm just watching him rip shots. The technique is incredible. Oh, well, it is. I mean, you haven't mentioned Braden Yeager. You haven't mentioned, no, you, I, haven't I mentioned haven't. you haven't mentioned Gabe Perot or Oliver Moore. Oliver or, Moore. Or, 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 or Ryan Leonard, right? You haven't mentioned any of those guys, right? I mean, those are all really, really good players. 
and 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 you know you start to go through it, right? You start to try to think about the. You haven't mentioned Ethan Gauthier, who I think is a terrific two-way centerman, and yep. you know you like you know Matthew Catafort, who's playing so well now. I mean. He played on the Halenka Gretzky team. His game is going like this, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm just naming some players. Samuel Honzek, another Slovakia player, yep. you know, who's been really good. He's hurt right now. But, you, you know, you start to think, like, I mean, it doesn't take us very long, Marco, to get to 20 players. It exactly. doesn't. And, and players that we can, you know, our eyes can get a little bit bigger and we can get excitement in our voices when we talk about them. And I, I think it speaks to, to, to that quality that you're going to – uh, you're going to be able to assess and consider, you know, whether it be at 18, whether it be at 23 or, or, or wherever it may be, you know, that you can get excited. You can get excited about. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, I had the, you know, we, we did our own top 32 uh, at Montreal hockey now. And I think I had the toughest time last year was to try and fit 10 to 20. I think the toughest time I had this year was trying to get to 32 and cut it off because, I had to get, I had to put guys out of my lineup that would have gone first round, no problem in another draft, yeah. like, like, a like a Caden Price, or, uh, you know, I was also looking at, um, you know, Hunter that was playing in, uh, that's playing in Kitchener. They have two players right now. Repkoff, Brutavich, Hunter Brutavich. And Brutavich, Brutavich. There you Raycom. go. I can never yeah. pronounce his name, but yeah. it's th- okay. you know, those like, are two. Mike McKenzie, Mike McKenzie laughed at me too. Mike McKenzie made uh, made a good joke about it as well. Cause I, you know, watching him play with Meshar on that power play, like I enjoyed them. Uh, but, you know, it was so hard because there are players that are kind of rising. You know, uh, Jaden Perron is another one that I've really liked in the USHL. Um, so I just find that the, the the quality of depth this year is, is something to get excited about. And it's, it's one of the reasons why general managers are, are being stingy with their first round picks this year, because you can possibly get a player that could be of, of impact for you as late as 25, 26. While those teams that are kind of locked into picking that, they'll trade their first round draft pick. The other teams, oh, you, you think it's just posturing? <laughs> no, it's one hundred percent posturing because if you're the Boston Bruins or the, the Tampa Bay Lightning or like all those teams, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know what? They're all in to try to compete for the Stanley Cup, and if it takes a first round draft pick to get a player they think can help them, that first round draft pick's going out the door. I don't care how good this draft is. That for those franchises, this is not about this year's draft. This is about this year's team on the ice competing for a cup. Posturing 100%, which they have to do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's something because, you know, I kind of heard the same thing in 2015 in, in the McDavid-Eichel-Marner draft where, oh, my God, this is a deep draft. You know, we have to keep our picks. And I believe seven first-round picks were traded. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this was like not, not seven picks before the draft even began. Um, so I, I kind of feel the same way, but you know, when you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you're looking at trading a guy like, uh, Joel Edmondson, potentially, uh, Sean Monahan, potentially, and they're being linked to teams like the Colorado Avalanche yep. or in Edmondson's case, the, the, uh, Edmonton Oilers, you know, those are teams that consistently talk about not necessarily wanting to trade their first round pick when they have one. Um, I also was not buying it from what I was being told. And I, I, I guess I wanted to assess that with you is, you know, we look at a guy like Sean Monahan, and a lot of people are worried because him being injured kind of hurts his value right now on the trade market. But is there an aspect or or a potential where a team could also look at it and say, well, look how Montreal fell apart without Sean Monahan and kind of weigh that against the injury scare? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, Sean, 
yeah, you know, had his injury. You know, I, I, I think Sean's, you know, when he had his surgeries last year, he got things in order. And I, I know talking to Sean, he felt really good about his health and everything. I think this injury is, is one that's just unfortunate for him. You know, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't because of previous injuries. So I think like every, every team will want to see the injury report and be satisfied. I, I, I think that to, to that point, they'll look at what Sean did for the Montreal Canadiens and, and, and certainly that'll be part of their assessment. And then they'll look at what Sean can add to their team and what you're asking him to add to your team, right? Like, you know, the Colorado Avalanche traded last year for Andrew Cogliano. They weren't asking Andrew to come in and be a top-line player. They said, we want to we get deeper in our lineup and have more skill or have more speed. And that's exactly what – so, Sean, it's about assessing them the right way and then understanding, hey, here, here's, what, here's what he brings to our team. Okay, now what's the price? Right, like for the Edmonton Oilers to say they wouldn't trade their first round draft pick to improve their team right now, don't believe it for one second. It, it, it's a ludicrous statement because they have McDavid and Drysider, and like holding on to your first round draft pick this year that, that it might help you in four years' time. Give me a break. Like, like they're going to trade their first round draft pick, and they have to trade their first round draft pick. But Ken Holland has been rather reluctant to trade his first round draft picks despite well, having the, the well, aforementioned good, players. Like good. He can be reluctant. He can hang on to his first round draft pick and be watching the NHL from the sidelines next year because he's failing right now, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Bottom line is, you know what? That first round draft pick, he, he, he traded lots of them when he was in Detroit trying to help the team. I remember. I, I would suggest that, 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 that Kenny, who's really bright and really good, it's complete posturing. Complete posturing. Kenny will trade his first round draft pick and maybe some prospects because he has so to. That's the thing that that's the, that's where I was kind of getting at. So a guy like Joel Edmondson, you know, you, you, they're also looking at Vladislav Gavrikov from, from what I gathered, from what I've been seeing as well. Um, Joel Edmondson is a guy that you can keep around for an extra year at a pretty decent cap hit at 3.5 million. Um, would that maybe make more sense for a more conservative general manager like Ken Holland having that security for next year as opposed to going rental hunting and, and not having anything to show for it? Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know who Gavrikov's agent is, but but you can also sign players. He traded for Brett Kulak last year and was able to sign Brett Kulak, you know, who was a pending unrestricted free agent. Uh, you know, like, like I think that there is. Listen, I think Joel Edmondson's a 5-6 a defenseman, okay? The, can he help the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah, he can help the Edmonton Oilers. There's no question about it. And you know what? But to me, the Edmonton Oilers need not one defenseman, they need two defensemen. And if Joel was one, they came with another player that was that was really that that could add a different element, then I think they're really giving themselves a chance to, to, to compete at a higher level. So when I look at the Edmonton Oilers, I'm not looking at one defenseman for their team. I, I think they need two defensemen. And, you know, so, and, and Joel brings an element that's really important and, and, and I think can help their team, but he alone, I don't think is helping the team get to where they want to go. And I, I think that's where, and Kenny has always recognized what his team needed. So again, Kenny's a great salesman. He's a great poker player. Uh, he's, he, he, he'll posture. I get it. That's what he's got to do. But he, he also knows he's sitting on 97 and 29 in Edmonton. And you know what? The price of not helping them is far greater than the price you pay to help them. And I guess, you know, lastly, talking about GMs that are active, uh, we're looking at Calgary right now, Brad Trey Living. 
definitely a need for a little bit more, you know, scoring at forward. And, you know, I was speaking to a couple of buddies of mine, uh, Salam Valji, who covers for the Calgary Flames and TSN and Julian McKenzie for the athletic. And both of us kind of drew a line towards a guy like Josh Anderson. And so, you know, I was thinking about it for Calgary's sake, but I was also thinking about it in general sense. Um, you know, is that in your mind a player that could potentially be moved? Not necessarily at this trade deadline, but in the next coming months. I, th- I think there's enough. Uh, there would be enough uh, uh, attractiveness uh, of, of, of Josh for other teams to want him. He's big. He can skate. You know, the playoffs are, are about hard hockey, fast hockey, hockey along the wall, hockey in tight spaces. You know, I think Josh has pretty much established what he is uh, offensively. You know, uh, I think he's going to have some years where he might be a little bit, you know, more prolific offensively. But I think you know, you know what you're getting. But for, for, for a team like Calgary who are dying, a dying for a right winger, a right winger. And, you know, you start to think about, you know, the size that Josh brings, the speed that Josh brings, the, 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 the physical, you know, ruggedness that he brings. Like, you know, there's so many other elements that Josh brings to the table that absolutely, and it's like you, you, you and, and because of his contract, you know, you, you work through it, you try to understand what it means, how you do it. But that, that type of player, I'd like, I, I think he would, but, but you got to be realistic. You, you, you can't expect Josh to come in and, and all of a sudden be a 30 goal scorer because I don't think he's going to be a 30 goal scorer. But the elements that he brings and the things that you're looking for to make your team harder to play against, you know, impose your, your team's, you know, speed and size against the opponent. Those are really important qualities. So absolutely, I think there, there, there would have to be, and, and you talk about Calgary specifically, Josh Anderson definitely would have to, you know, you know catch the attention of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, no, it's been something that we've discussed, you know, Kent Hughes not necessarily wanting to trade him, but if he put his name out there, he'd get like 15 phone calls in a sec. Um, it, it's what we've been hearing a lot, but I guess the the reluctancy has been the price, the price point and teams not wanting to match it. You know, uh, Pierre Lebrun, I believe, put out that the, the Canadians actually had a deal in place where they refused the first round pick in a package for him. And so like trying to weigh the right time to make these moves. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to bring it back to was, was the moves that they made this summer, right? So the Canadians trying to get bigger by drafting guys like your Slavkovsky, trading for Kirby Doc. Uh, you know, they may address size again in this upcoming draft, potentially with Florida's pick, potentially with their own. Is this the right time for a second wave sell-off? Because it was basically a fire sale last year, but do you get the sense that it's going to be a more of the same this year, or is it going to be a little quieter on their end? I, I think a big part of it for the Montreal Canadiens when they acquired the Dan off, you know, was was hopefully be able to have him perform at a good level where he would attract some interest at the deadline. I think the same thing with Jonathan Drouin, uh, you know, expiring contracts that teams can fit in, you know, with no long-term obligation. The, the fact of the matter is th- th- those players just haven't performed very well. So, you know, do I think that that Kent could could move those players? Yeah, but I think that you know, in terms of what the return would be, I I, I, I don't think it's as it, if they perform better, the return would be higher. Let, let me leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I also think that you have to be careful. You know, you don't want to get you don't want players to just start thinking they're coming into an organization and they're just 
you're, you're kind of passing through. You don't want it to be a revolving door. It's hard to be invested as a player. And, and, and what you really want players to be is invested in the process that you're, that you're working with currently. Your young players are learning. Your young players are, are, are benefiting from, from what's around them. You're not throwing them to the wolves, so to speak. But if players are coming in and they just go, well, you know what, I just got to get through to February or to the trade deadline, right? That's not a good environment either. So that's the balancing act that Kent has. So, you know, and, and, and like you got Josh Anderson under contract. You have Joel Edmondson under – you got a young blue line there. You got a young blue line in Montreal. Like it's great to say we'll trade Joel Edmondson, but you're going to need a Joel Edmondson type to come back in there and help those young defense. Because part of growth is not having those young players overwhelmed. And, and, and experienced players can add, can add to that. So it's always a balancing act for the, uh, uh, for the, uh, for the manager. I'll, I'll share a quick story before we finish here. But uh, I, I was in Calgary, and Lou Lamarillo phoned me, and uh, he asked me about Tommy Abilene. Tommy Abilene had won the Stanley Cup with the New Jersey. I love Tommy Abilene. Great person, everything. And he, he said to me, he goes, well, I'll give you a fourth-round draft pick. I said, you know what? I'm not trading Tommy Abilene. If I trade Tommy Abilene, it's going to have to be for something significantly higher. Like, and he goes, like, what? I said, a second-round draft pick. He goes, wow, that's a high price. I'm not, I said, well, that's fine, Lou. I said, you don't have to pay it, but that's what I'm doing. He goes, well, okay, I respect that. But, but here's what I told him. I said, I have Robin Regeer, Denny Goche, Tony Ludman, and Derek Morris on my blue line. I had 17 games left to play. 17 times four is 68 games. I said, Tommy Abilene adds a lot to our group. He's well-respected. And he can really help our young defensemen because ultimately we're trying to move forward. And Tommy's a big part of that. I told Lou, I said, I'm going to go talk to Tommy. And I'm going to ask him if he says he'd like to go, then, you know, we can have a different conversation. Talk to Tommy. Tommy said, no, I like it here. It's good. No, I don't like, you know, I'm happy. to." So I didn't trade Tommy because I realized that I had young defensemen that were benefiting from Tommy. That's what Kent has to keep in mind. And that's not just defensemen. That's forwards as well. Yeah, that's the thing that came to my mind, you know, having good veterans in place and weighing the pros and cons. It's uh it's gonna be a it's gonna definitely be a puzzle piece for them at the NHL trade deadline. But I mean, what we talked about mostly was the prospects. I think the focus is gonna be on the draft. Uh, and I very much thank you for your time on being able to discuss that because I know that a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans are gonna want us to go a little deeper on this, uh, probably closer to the U18s. That's okay. We can do that then. <laughs> well, look, I want to thank you for your time, Craig. Always a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to I look forward to seeing your pieces on TSN as as we get closer to the draft. Yeah. Thanks, Marco.